Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. Yesterday was a beautiful day for a soccer match. Sunny, warm, and inside brand new Geodis Park, loud. More than 30,000 fans took to the stands and showed their support. This hour, we'll talk with some of those fans about their team and dig deeper into Nashville's growing soccer culture. Yesterday, after the home team fell behind 1-0, a late second-half goal by Rondal Leal was the equalizer the team needed to earn a draw. Not the win that fans wanted, that the team was hoping for, but it was enough to prevent the Reigns from ruining the opening day parade. How do I know all of this? Well, I was there alongside with WPLN digital reporter Rachel Iacovoni, who joins me now. Hey, Rachel, long time, no see. <laughs> hey, Khalil. So as you walked in, tell me, what were your initial impressions of Geodis Park? Honestly, my first thought was probably, wow, this looks so much like the renderings that the team sent us a couple years ago. I mean, this place is huge. My thighs are still burning from all the steps that we took. You took um, a lot of steps. Yeah. It, it's just an expansive place. There's that field out front. So that was kind of our first impression where people playing a pickup game of soccer outside of the actual arena where soccer is happening inside. And so give us a little history of this place. I mean, what neighborhood is it located in? Well, this has been a long time coming, so I'll, I'll give you some of the breakdown here. Nashville SC kept its original team name from its formation in 2016, but it only recently became a major league soccer team before the MLS. Nashville SC, back when it had that old round logo with the strings to the end, you might have seen some fans in that yesterday. Mm-hmm. That was that was when they were part of the USL, that's the United Soccer League that's professional, but it's the division below the MLS. Back then, the team played at First Horizon. That's the home of the Sounds baseball team. Then with the move to the big time, the team wanted a home for themselves and the stadium talk began. In the meantime, the team's been playing actually where the Titans play at Nissan Stadium since 2020 when they became an MLS team. And now they've finally come home to South Nashville, which is definitely a strategic choice because that's the most diverse and definitely the most Latino area of the city. How much did the stadium cost to build? $335 million. Okay, that's a lot of money. Um, Tell me about the process in getting this site approved by the city and the community. What was that like? There was definitely some pushback from the community, some in South Nashville and then just around the city, probably because of that bill. There was a lawsuit from Save Our Fairgrounds, and even Mayor Cooper was upset with the team during the stadium build talks for a while there since he wanted them to contribute more to the huge cost. And we saw just this week, the most recent drama was the parking concerns. There are 5,000 parking spots for 30,000 fans plus, as you said. Hmm. That's going to be tough to work. So... That's really tough to work out. So, you know, answer this for me. From what you saw yesterday, do you get the feeling that the stadium is a welcoming place for all Nashvillians? Yeah, I think there were some promises in the initial tour with press. Um, One of our reporters, Juliana Kim, went to that. They said, we want to make this an international place, but we wouldn't really know until opening day what that meant. And when we walked in, we saw so many of the offerings were Uh, In like Spanish, there were Latino places locally owned that we spotted. And a lot of the signage was in Spanish itself. So that community in particular, but we saw people from all different backgrounds there. Yeah. And, you know, 
as you mentioned, we're walking around, we see plenty of vendors and a lot of different options. We also had some really good empanadas. <laughs> yes. I mean, we saw those as soon as we walked in. And I know, Mark, that's the place we got to go back to. Mm-hmm. There was a long line of largely Latinos, which is always a good sign. So that's Chivanada. That's a Colombian food truck that's actually usually in a converted school bus. But this is a permanent stand that they have there. There's also Alabrije that we passed, which is usually a pop-up around town. They take over local restaurants. And then, of course, there's Tempo. <laughs> it's uh, one of my favorite favorite coffee shops in town. Their actual permanent location is about a mile from there. So it's definitely a South Nashville staple. And I mean, much to my pleasant surprise running into that, if you're asking yourself, though, why would you want coffee at a soccer game? You mm-hmm. did not see the line that we saw yesterday. Yeah. I finally caught up with Zyla Solis in a lull in the never ending customer line. She's the owner's daughter and was working the stand. We've been a little overwhelmed, but but we did a lot of prep work. So my parents are here. They're actually like cooking in a separate kitchen and running everything over. So it's been a little bit like there's my dad. <laughs> but yeah, mostly we were prepared. Her dad ran up in the middle there, as you heard, with this giant tray of tacos to resupply the reserves. I actually got coffee at Tempo this morning, and Zyla was still saying how shocked they were by the interest in their food and coffee yesterday. It looked really good, but that line was way too long. Uh, You know, tell me, what was your take on the cultural representation of, you know, the fans at the game? I mean, we were pretty candidly talking about that to each other as people of color who were there. And it was a largely white crowd initially, probably a lot of those season ticket holders. And then it kind of changed, you know, as the crowd was shifting, they were walking in. It was like 1 p.m. They opened the doors and then the game wasn't actually until three. So much closer to actual game start around 2.30, there was definitely a change in the tide. And I think that's largely with the supporter section arriving. There is a Spanish speaking group. I know you'll be talking later in the show. Mm -hmm. And that group coming in and all the others, we saw black families, we saw a lot of Asian families as well. And that's where it was like, wow, this could be the host of something like a World Cup. I know like they're going for eventually. Actually, when we were walking to the parking lot after after the game, a very cheery couple asked me to take a photo of them. And when we got to talking, we realized we were all Puerto Rican or Puerto Rican. Uh, Cristina and Jose Rivas moved from the island to Orlando, and they've been fans of the MLS team there for a while. But now as new Nashville res- residents, Nashvillians, they're fully ready to convert, they say. I mean, this is the opening, the grand opening. It was totally worth it, even though we didn't win it. I think everybody did a great experience. It was a great experience. Stadium and this stadium is amazing. So, yeah, we love it. They were just very impressed with the stadium. They Mm -hmm. kept telling me that. As a native Floridian with a childhood friend who worked for Orlando City SC for a while, I will tell you. The effort here is different. The Latinos find you in Central Florida, but in Nashville, Tennessee, there's definitely been some more intentional courting. You know, we'll be talking, as you mentioned, with a few of those backline supporters later on in the show. But you and I were hanging out with them for a bit. I was feeling it. What did you feel as you were as they got the chance and all the drums going? 
very at home, you know, it's a really cool mix of like, yeah, we're Music City. There's like some of the country influence, but we heard maybe two country songs. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of just like that. The drum is what really connects us all. Right. So there is like Spanish chants happening on one side and at the same time to the same beat, the English ones. And it was just such a unified section for so many different reasons, culturally and language wise and standing right there. I mean, I could see you right ahead of me at certain parts and it's like we're both grinning. You can't help but yeah. feed off that energy. Yeah, you just look around and you see people and it's like, if you're going to be in this section, you are going to have fun and you are going to chant and you're going to cheer. You know, and that section was wonderful, but we had access to a lot of different places that people normally don't get a chance to check out when they go to sports arenas, like the press box and the post-game press conference rooms. What did you notice about those? What stood out? Well, you can bring some more, you can court some more Latinos and other groups, you know, to the arena, but that doesn't change the makeup of the actual press that already exists here and covers sports. I noticed I was one of three women in the room, you know, and there were 17 press members. And of course there were limited people of color. I think I counted seven. So that is interesting when they're trying to be an international place. And I'm wondering if the team, as it continues to do better and as they're doing more events that are not just Nashville SC and courting more international soccer, if we'll see a shift in who's actually covering it in the press room. But that does stand out to me. What else stood out to you? I mean, what what are you thinking as the season progresses? What your what's your eye looking for? I'm actually interested in how the crowd will continue to look. I honestly wonder if it'll diversify even more. You and I were looking at tickets before. I mean, we we were covered by a press pass. It's very nice. But tickets were $90 for the cheap seats Mm -hmm. from what I was seeing. So I wonder if that did keep some people from being able to go in. So diversity in class, not just in race and ethnicity, but... Uh, more of those South Nashville residents who just want to check out a game. I'm seeing like later in the month, those tickets are 30 bucks. So it might change. Rachel Giacovoni is the digital editor for WPLN. Thanks for joining us. And thank you for going to the game with me. Yeah, it was great. So much fun. Thanks, Khalil. Let's do it again. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we talk with some super fans of Nashville SC to find out where they get all that infectious energy from. Were you at the game yesterday? Tweet us your thoughts on Geodis Park at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. On the north side of Geodis Park, behind the net in sections 105 to 111, hundreds of people joined the backline supporters in a chant of support for the home team, Nashville SC. The chant quickly spreads throughout the entire stadium. Around the arena, there are dozens of concession options, including an old favorite. It's your beer, man. Y'all know me. Ice cold beer. 
no line, no wait. I take credit card, mobile pay and Apple pay, guys. AEVT, guys. Ice cold, no line, no wait. Hanging out with the backline supporters are Fernando and his son Jose, who are very excited for this moment. So we're looking forward to this. Thanks God we got it. We have a team in town, new stadium. What we need? Just come and support the team, you know? We had it here at home. So this is my favorite thing, soccer. So I'm going to be yelling and everything over here on this section with all my parties over here. And we hope we win. So the party will be complete, you know, if we win today, going to be a complete party today. Yes, sir. So what we win. Now, what do, you, what do you think of the new stadium? Oh, man, it's amazing. Look at this. We can ask for more. This is what we need. We have the team and we have the stadium, so that's all we need. So we have to be here every week that they play over here to support them. can't but help but move to the beat when you're around them. It's infectious. Win, lose, or draw, which is how it turned out yesterday, people are really happy to have this place. And we're super happy to have our next guest join us. Abel Ocasta is the head of La Brigada de Oro, or known as the Gold Brigade, Nashville SC's Hispanic fan club. Abel, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you with us. So what did you think of the game yesterday? Oh, amazing. Lost for words. Honestly, there's no words to describe it at all. You can't find anything. It's just beyond excitement, beyond amazement, beyond expectations. It's something that we dreamed about for so many years. And when it finally came to fruition, we were like almost at a loss for words. Really, lost for words. Did you get any sleep the night before in anticipation for this big day? I think I haven't really gotten sleep this whole past week (laughs) this weekend. Awesome. So tell me, how, how did you become a fan of the Nashville Soccer Club? Uh, probably dates back a couple of years now, uh, just before we went pro to the USL in the, uh, um, I think about 2017, I believe so, 2017, when we were still at uh, Vanderbilt Stadium, just before USL years. And you just started going to games? Um, basically, yes. It's... um. Kind of heard about the team, heard about the under 23, under 21, under 23 team. I don't remember the actual number right now, but the under 21 team. And I was like, hmm, this is interesting. And um, I'm just always been a soccer fan. I've always, always been a, a sports fan in general. And I just been looking for soccer in this area. And when I finally saw something that really piqued my interest, I just started going to games and, um, just became a fan in general, just just like a general fan. And I think from there, just kept growing to growing to growing the love for it, for the team and the fan, the fan base here in general. Tell me about that fan base. Like there are different fan clubs that support the squad. What tell me about those. And then also tell me what sets La Brigada de Oro apart from them. Mm, I think. So the different fan bases, obviously, when you're in that stadium, it's one one unit. It's one full family of fans. It's one 
it's it's a it's it's a unity of fans um and that's one of the things that especially like within the supporter section itself because honestly um i used to sit on the sides basically like a what we would say like a regular fan so sitting on the regular sidelines on a regular chair regular seat you have your seat one and two whatever your number is and then i i started seeing the energy and the supporter section and i basically started gravitating towards that area mm. and um that's where i kind of fell in love with more of the energy that comes from that area that specific section and i just wanted to be more involved honestly i wanted to be more involved in what can i do to help grow this this love for this and this passion for this game here in nashville and um from there i was part of one of the other supporters groups for a while in the beginning and within time i saw our fan base growing and just like our fan base is growing our diversity within nashville the city is growing as well in interest for soccer is growing here and um as uh, i think as latinos in general we it's something we already it's ingrained in us honestly uh we we not saying that any other uh any other culture or any other ethnic background doesn't have it but in latinos in many countries outside of the the us this is the sport because soccer is truly the only global sport and especially in latin countries it's uh it's number one. It's do or die. Um, and then being, I wanted to kind of bring that culture, that atmosphere, help bring it, help unite it with what was what was already here. And that was my ultimate goal, to bring unity between a fan base that's already been here, the, the local fan base, and help grow the Latino fan base within it and intermix it and make them feel like all part of a uh one big family in the back line and it's just we wanted to bring our flavor i just want i wanted that flavor to come through i wanted that 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 energy that we have to help how can we incorporate it with the rest of the other groups in it and make it that one big party zone Definitely felt like one big family. I can tell you that. Kate Guidry is the drummer on the back line and she joins us now. Kate, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's an honor. So what drew you to the roadies? Tell me about that. Um, that's a that's a very large question. Um, the roadies to me just represents a family of people that no matter where you come from, no matter what gender identity you have, no matter what religion, no matter what your beliefs are, we all come together to support soccer. And that inclusion is really what drew me in. So I saw you getting down, particularly on, <laughs> yeah, I was there. I was, I was, I was close to our next guest. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the surprise, but you know, I heard you on the big NSC chant and you kept the intensity going with other drummers. Tell our fans, tell the people who are listening, who don't necessarily know about that chant, what it is and how hard it is to keep that going. Absolutely. So back in when we were in the USL days, uh, that was when I first joined the drum line. Um, and we started doing this chant. And um, a good friend of mine is one of the capos. And he came up to me and goes, I want you to start this chant. I think you have the intensity to do it. And I, at first I thought, 
I don't know about that. And then I tried it out. And the more I did it, the more that I saw the energy that came out around me for it. So it's kind of just like a rhythm that's just hit, hit. Then people say in, and then it goes again, hit, hit, S. And then one more time, hit, hit, C. And then it gets louder and it gets faster and more intense and more intense. And it starts out with the one drum. And that's, that's what I do. I started out that slow intensity and then it builds up with more and more drums. And it's just, it's electric. And I'm not going to lie to you. I got very emotional the first time we did it in the new stadium, hearing how loud it was. Cause at Nissan, the sound just kind of got sucked into that one section. But with this new stadium, it just, it echoes and it is overwhelming in the best way. It really rocks the house. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Kaliole Colonna. We're talking with super fans of Nashville SC. Tweet us at This Is Nashville to tell us about your fandom. Okay, I teased it a little bit, but my next guest is arguably one of the most recognizable fans of Nashville SC. He was voted Nashville's number one religious leader by Nashville Scene Readers. I'd like to <laughs> welcome Stephen Mason, also known as Soccer Moses, to the show. Thank you for being here, Stephen. Oh, thanks for having me. It's uh, As everyone said, it's an honor. You know, yesterday was really wild. How did you enjoy the game? Uh, probably too much. Maybe it's the quick answer. Um, it, it, it was just overwhelming. Um, uh, you know, Kate, Abel and, and everyone to come to speak will probably say the same thing. You heard, you heard this, this theme throughout so far of, of energy. And, um, it, it's just, it's just incredible to, uh, to hear and kind of, as Abel mentioned, you know, the, the journey from, from Vanderbilt, uh, to the USL, to MLS, um, and the ways that everyone has watched this thing grow and seen an opportunity and an invitation, I would even say, to participate uh, in this and to bring their own unique gift and personality to it. Um, that that creates this energy. There, there just aren't there aren't very many things in in my estimation um, that are such an invitation um, as Kate said to come as you are. Um, you know, all, you know, y'all means all kind of aspect of, of, uh, of, of sport fandom. Soccer really does that. Um, uh, you know, the world is tribal, uh, uh, and, and yet I think in soccer, uh, it holds space for many, many different tribes. Um, and, uh, so that, that's, that's some of what, um, some of what was overwhelming for me was just to see the, the, the growth, and the diversity and and ultimately just the joy that that poured forth from everyone. There was a lot of joy out there. And I, I like what you're saying about the individualism being able to express your own way. We saw a Nashville SC luchador. We saw <laughs> we saw a woman who was wearing a Scottish wedding dress that she made that was in the Nashville SC colors. And then of course we have His Holiness, Soccer Moses. Tell me, <laughs> where did the idea for Soccer Moses, where did that come from? Well, uh, uh, the, the elevator speech, basically, um, there's a, a professional soccer player with the last name Moses and a friend, uh, when he scored a dramatic goal, a friend of mine stood on his chair in a pub in Ireland, let my people goal. And um, he told me that story and I thought, man, that needs to be a shirt. And he's like, we'll make this shirt. And um, uh Stephen Robinson, uh, uh, the president of the roadies. Um, uh, I was cutting his hair, uh, one day in the barbershop and he said, and I was like, you know, 
what would you think about this? And, and he was like, dude, you got to do this. And um, uh, so I, I, you know, stopped our haircut, went on a, uh, the website of uh, you know a uh, big old website and and bought uh, a moses costume <laughs> and uh, uh you know and that was right before the tornado right before covid um uh and it just uh, a lot of things converged um and it's you know again it, it's just it's another aspect of be yourself bring your gift and um and and honestly the whole soccer moses thing is just uh silliness and a lot of joy and um and, you know, hopefully making a, a little difference too. that. That is the other aspect of these, these groups, um, you know, kicking at 615, one of our nonprofits, there's, there's a lot of work going on um, socially um, in our, in our community uh, as a result of this amazing gathering of, of uh, unique uh, and wacky humans. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate it. We ran into each other yesterday as I was checking out the game and you kindly granted me a selfie. And I thank you very much for that. <laughs> appreciate it. Oh, blessings. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Abel, when you look at the crowd and you see like Kate on the drums and Steven lifting everyone's spirits, what emotions come to you? Pure joy, pure mm. joy, happiness. Um, it's so fulfilling, honestly. It's, um, Especially like, I'll give you Kate as an example, how, and it goes back to like what she mentioned earlier, that welcoming atmosphere, that welcoming, you know, everybody's welcome here and, and all adapting to one another. Kate's a perfect example on this. She is, honestly, we all know she is a queen on the drum line. She does her thing. Hmm. She goes all out and we love her for that. And the way when, you know, we came in and kind of brought our flavor into the drumline section that we have there in the center, she adapted to it real quick. She embraced it and she went, she goes all out, out with everybody. And, um, and that's what we love to see. We love to see someone like Kate and then the rest of the, the fan base adapt and just go all out um really embrace what we like to call new natural um and what soccer truly is about so someone like kate is honestly a perfect example of that you know as she said she was with the roadies from the very beginning in a way she came in uh they had a certain style we came in she adapted embraced it as well now we all had incorporated together and then steven there's no words for Steven. He's he's a man when it comes to the capital stand. He's the most energetic person, honestly, I think I've ever met. I don't know if he has a switch, really. Um, <laughs> I don't know. He is something else. He is he's a spark plug in every way, and you got to love him for that. That's why he is honestly the man when it comes to capitals. I've still yet to meet an equal to him, and I don't think I ever will be. I have to say that. Okay, you guys, we've used the term several times, just for our audience members who may not know. Kate, what is a capo? So a capo is, if you ever go to a game, you'll see these different, they, to me, they look like little cages, little stands that the cap, the capos or the people that lead the chants, they stand on. And what's really unique about Nashville is that each capo has these cards and they hold up these cards and all the fans and they can find this online. 
can associate an image with a different chant that's communicated to the drumline, that's communicated to everybody here. That way we're all on the same page. So a capo is essentially a fancy word for a chant leader. Chant leader. I love it. Now, Kate, you know, looking around, there were clearly plenty of women who were rabbit fans and a big part of all the celebrations. But you're in the running to be the first female capo, right? That is information that everyone knows now. But yes. (laughs) (laughs) Breaking news. Breaking news. Um, I have honestly very much admired what Stephen has done for many, many years that I've been a member of Nashville SC, and I'm very lucky to call him a great friend of mine. And being on the drum line and Uh, It is no secret that I am a loud individual and I want to use that as well as being electric on the drumline. I see myself up there on the stand as well. And I hope that would inspire more women and people that have feminine identities to really get up there and want to be in the center because I feel like everyone deserves a chance to be welcome. I want to ask all three of you, start with you, Abel. What's your favorite chant? Abel, you still with us? We'll move on to Steve. Steve, tell me, what's your favorite chant? Uh, you know, I think, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I'll steal Abel's thunder here, but uh, 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 Vamos, Vamos Nashville. I just, I, it, um, it just, it just, for me, I, it, it's, uh, it's important. Um, and I, I know across the board with all the supporters groups, um, it's important that we f- we have uh, multiling, you know, bilingual chants, and um, that one just gets everybody on their feet. Okay, Abel, I want to ask you this: you know, Nashville is in the running to host a few of the 2026 World Cup matches. Abel, what would that mean for the city if we were able to land that? Um. Wow, that's a good one. That's a good question, Nashville. The first, the first thing that comes to mind, if we were to host a World Cup or anything, uh, honestly, it's like, yes, we've reached that status. It's not, especially here in the South, so to speak. It's not just about Atlanta, and Atlanta gets everything. Like they're recognizing Nashville for what Nashville is, how Nashville is growing, how how far we've come as Nashville in general. So to me, it's more than just about the stadium or anything in general. It's recognizing the city. And again, it's not just about Atlanta within the South, but how big Nashville is going and what it means to Nashville in general. That's what it that's the first thought that comes to my mind. Kate, real quick, give me your elevator pitch. Why should people come out to a Nashville SC match at Geodes Park? I've given this very often. I am ready. Um, So Nashville SC is just getting out to a game to experience the atmosphere. You don't even really have to understand soccer that much. Because going in, I was a very passive fan of soccer. I didn't know too much. I knew that it went on for 90 minutes. There was a break. Sometimes there's extra time. But it's genuinely an easy sport to follow, if, even if you don't know the rules that much. And even if you're curious about something, it's a type of environment that you can ask the person sitting next to you and they'd happily tell you there's no judgment. There is no holding back. Just if you like being loud, if you like cheering, if you like 
just being in an atmosphere of people that are so passionate about something. I invite you just to come out to a game and just see what it's all about. Sit in the supportive section, or if you don't feel ready for that, sit anywhere else in the stadium and just it's something you need to experience at least once, in my opinion. Kate Guidry is bass drummer for the Roadies. She was joined by Abel Acosta of La Brigada de Oro and Stephen Mason, also known as Soccer Moses. Thank you all for being here and go NSC. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll take a look at the history and future of soccer in Nashville. And we want to hear we want to hear your soccer tales. Did you score a hat trick in middle school? Please tweet us about it. We want to hear it because we'll ask your friends if it's true. We'll be right back. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. This hour is all about soccer in Nashville, and it was a big weekend for soccer fans with Nashville SC's first opening day at the brand new Geodis Park. How did we get to this point as a city? And what does soccer mean to Nashvilleans? My next guests each have a deep connection to soccer in Nashville and beyond. Desmond Armstrong was the first U.S.-born black man on a World Cup team. He now coaches at Fisk University and was an integral part of bringing MLS to Nashville. Desmond Armstrong, welcome to This is Nashville. Well, hello there. How are you? I'm doing well, my friend. Honestly, I got to say it's an honor to have you. I reached out to a couple of my friends. I grew up just outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and a few of my friends were heavily into soccer. And I told them I was seeing you because they saw you play for the Baltimore Blast when we were growing up in middle school and high school. <laughs> Dude, you just called me old in a polite way. Hey, it's okay. I called myself old, too. <laughs> 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 well, thank you. It's really an honor to have you, my friend. Um, we also have Stephen Robinson, who is the host of the Nashville soccer podcast, Pharmaceutical Soccer, and the current president of the Roadies NSC fan club. Stephen, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. I mean, that's the one thing I love about this sport is that there's a guy like me that just loves supporting soccer, and I get to be uh, on a show next to a legend like Desmond. Uh, yeah, I, I can't ask for anything more, so I appreciate you having me on. Oh, this is going to be a great conversation, I can already tell. You know, we've been talking about Nashville SC, but Nashville has been in the conversation for even bigger things. Now, Desmond, you've been a part of this World Cup bid process. Tell me some of the reasons why Nashville is a great fit for this game. I think Nashville is a great fit because it is a city that is diverse. I don't think that, you know, people outside of Nashville necessarily recognize Nashville as a very diverse place. The first thing that comes to mind, obviously, is country music. And Nashville has put itself on the world map relative to country music. But beyond that, in terms of the growth of the city, and the growth of the region, be it the southeastern area of the United States, Nashville serves as one of those pinnacles of growth and diversity. And to have a World Cup or even to host a World Cup here, I think that it would solidify what Nashville is and more so becoming from year to year. And what would the effect for the World Cup to be to, be, to come to a place like Nashville? How would that improve its profile? 
Yeah, I think that, you know, what happens with the World Cup, obviously, in a global sense, it, it is the number one event, global sports event in the world. At least it ranks as that right now. And I think for it to come to Nashville, I think it solidifies, unlike the last time that the World Cup was here in the United States back in 1994, this time around, Nashville serves as one of those cities in terms of the expansion and the growth of the sport from that time of 1994 to now, you know, 2026. The growth of the sport could be identified with a placement of a few games, if not more, of World Cup games in Nashville. Stephen, you know, what should we be aware of as we go forward in making this bid for the 2026 World Cup games? Uh, yeah, I, and I think just being a little bit honest about, you know, kind of Nashville's chances and the standpoint is it, it is a little bit of a long shot when it comes to, uh, you know, the cities that we're going up against. We have they're, they're in the process of selecting the cities right now that will be in it. Uh, there's currently 16 cities and it will be going down to um, about 10 or 11. And, you know, Nashville is up there when it comes to with cities like, uh, you know, Seattle, Los Angeles, uh, you know, New York, you know, D.C., all these big spots that are more considered probably more equipped uh, from a soccer perspective, but also just a, a, an international perspective uh, when it comes to being able to host these type of events and what have you. But the thing that we know in Nashville is that we know how to host an event and we know how to ho have a good time. And I think we proved that very well with the NFL draft being here. Mm -hmm. uh, and I hope that, uh, you know, the international soccer community can take a look at, you know, the events and even, you know, yesterday and use that uh, as a platform to show that Nashville is ready for this stage. You know, Desmond, tell me, what are your concerns about having a game of that size here in Nashville? It's not so much the game itself that I have concerns with because, um, as mentioned, Nashville has hosted international games and big events. Um, I think the consideration um, that has to be highlighted in regards to Nashville hosting a World Cup or a series of World Cup games is, does Nashville have the facilities to house national teams to come in and train for um, several weeks in preparation for a game. Not that they, not that Nashville can't host the actual game, it's the run up to the game and then the housing of those teams to come in and prepare. Do we have the facilities? One of the, um, the drawbacks in terms of Nashville right now and its growth and its need for growth, if you can talk about transportation, but you can also talk about physical facilities. Now, you mentioned earlier that soccer is this global sport, you know, and in most cases, it doesn't require a lot of money to play, just a ball and anything that can be identified as a goal. Yet in the United States, most kids, particularly in urban settings, they want to play football or be basketball players. What has your experience been like with kids here in Nashville? I mean, I've spent most of my time and it's now 10 years in Nashville, and I come out of an area that's very urban, if you will, from uh, D.C., Washington, D.C., and the Baltimore um, region. Um, I've spent most of my time over in Antioch um, in regards to going into neighborhoods. I had about five different neighborhoods that I would go into, and I knew that the common language 
uh, relative to the refugees and the immigrants that live in those areas of Nashville, the common language is soccer. So all I had to do was pull out a ball. And, um, and I, I went just two days ago. And the kids are out there playing on a makeshift uh, court that used to be a tennis court. But it's been converted into, you know, a uh, what we call futsal or street soccer um, uh, event. And so my thing is, and I, I, I reside in East Nashville, and we do the same thing in East Nashville where we have a combination of immigrants, we have a combination of we have a combination of middle class, upper middle class, low income um, families playing on our teams. And so the thing that I'm looking at is Nashville going to continue to grow and also offer itself up to every walk of life and using soccer to connect all of these different communities. And then for what I heard earlier in the, in the, uh, the, the broadcast was that in the experience in the stadium is you have all these different groups. They are united because they have come to support the city, but they've come to support the city underneath the banner of soccer. And that's a beautiful thing. And it goes global. That. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I know I might be rambling. I'm excited about it because <laughs> we've kicked off, you know, the stadium. Uh, we have a team. And what I'm looking for is that Nashville will cre- create its own identity as a city um, underneath the auspices of the sport of soccer, meaning it's the same sport, but it's a little bit different because it's coming out of Nashville. Steven, let me, let's, let's work with that. You know, what's your sense of the larger soccer culture here in Nashville? Uh, I, I would say that it's kind of in its infant stages. Uh, and you know, it's one of the things where, uh, you know, this team Nashville soccer, you know, Nashville soccer club is developed from Nashville football club that was established back in, you know, 2014, where it was a fourth tier team. Uh, you know, we talked about the second and first tier teams. It was a fourth tier team that played at Vanderbilt. And this was also a team that was founded by the supporters itself. Uh, the supporters put in money to be able to have this team. And there was, you know, 500 people uh, that were going to these matches. Um, so we now here we are in this standpoint where we're selling out a 30,000 seat stadium. It, it is just continuing to expand and grow. And it's one of the things when it comes to a culture perspective in its kind of infant stages, a lot of people like to, you know, look at, oh, let's let's do things like Europe or let's do things like one of the other, you know, teams do. Let's do something like that, where I think the one thing that not, let's do it the Nashville way. Actually, we don't actually necessarily need to do it like anybody else. Let's do it the Nashville way. And that culture is really starting to be understood uh, by everybody, you know, from the supporters, I think, to I think the city itself. Um And it's going to continue to expand, which is why I almost wish, like, I think that the World Cup was four years later. I think that would be the perfect time for us if that was the what if that was the time that U.S. had that World Cup bid. Um, But, you know, it's going to get there. It's just it's soccer is not the language that is spoken in this city, unfortunately. Um, It's getting better. It's getting to that point. Um, but it's just going to take time to teach people and it's going to take patience. Maybe if it's a U.S. women's or the women's World Cup, that would be good timing. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. So, Stephen, we were talking about capos earlier. 
with mm-hmm. some of our guests in the former segment. And I was there yesterday. I was looking. <laughs> I saw you holding up the Dolly Parton sign, and everybody got in lockstep with everything. You know, it was beautiful, beautiful experience. I said to myself, all right, Khalil, you are going to more matches. You are definitely coming here to go to more matches, and I'm totally going to be in the backline section getting wild yes. with you all in the sun. And we'll have some some water and maybe beer to help us out. <laughs> but, you know, the, I want to know about your experience with the roadies. The first time you met with them, and let me get this straight, there were only four of you, right? Yeah, it was crazy. I walked in, so I helped. Um, I, I just started getting into soccer kind of in the uh, Ann Arbor area uh, in Michigan. And it was the same small team, but I moved to Nashville. And that was the first community I wanted to be a part of because that's where I knew, hey, when I moved to an, when I moved to a new space, these are the most welcoming people that I've ever talked to and experienced with is soccer fans. So that's who I wanted to be with. So I, you know, found the roadies. It was before, right before the season started, I got lucky where we, you know, met at, uh, it was a bar near Vanderbilt stadium. That was just kind of a beginning. Hey, let's get everybody to meet. Uh, and there was four people, uh, and it was, uh, you know, the president and, you know, three others, and, you know, the president of the roadies at the time was the one that was waving the flag for the roadies uh, on the field uh, yes, uh, yesterday. Um, it, it's crazy just to look at just even some of the songs that we used to do that are still carrying now to 30,000 people. And the way that, you know, even our membership in the roadies has grown, we've always been a community a community group and really care about community. And we've been able to, with that increased, you know, identity, we've been able to show that community, you know, how much we care. Uh, so for example, uh, the kid at 615 was brought up. That's a, that's a, a organization in Desmond's district it, where Desmond lives actually in East Nashville that, you know, provides lower income kids uh, the opportunity to play soccer for free. And we're able to, you know, provide resources to that foundation coaches, you know, anything that is needed just because of the people that join in on the songs and chants and all of that, we're able to do that just because of that. And it it's incredible just to be able to look back at how small we are now to the point of the impact that we can actually have on the city just by being a bunch of fans. Tell me about what led you to start your podcast, your podcast, pharmaceutical soccer. <laughs> so, and, and that's, that's a great question. Uh, so uh, me, myself, Stephen, uh, the name, uh, my other two hosts, uh, Clay uh, is one of them, Clay Trainum, who actually runs a website called National Soccer Archives, who anything about the history of Nashville soccer, that man knows everything. Um, and then Valer, who actually runs that Kicking It 615 uh, organization, uh, CVS, by the way, pharmaceutical soccer, Clay, Valer, Steven, that's where the name came from. It's ridiculous, I know. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, we were just a bunch of fans that, you know, really felt like the fans didn't, there was a, wasn't a ton of media coverage about soccer in the area. And that's one of the things that we wanted to show is that, hey, the fans that are a part of this, that are part of this team actually do have a comprehensive knowledge of the team, understand the sport. But we can also do it kind of in a casual, you know, fun way that supporters of the team itself can get into. You know, we've done a full soccer 101 episode before, just kind of understanding, you know, teaching people the basics, getting an understanding of what national soccer is like itself and, you know, the history behind it. Uh, And it's been a good run. And, you know, we've we've had a lot of people tell us that, you know, they love the ability to have that kind of casual experience, that more supporter experience. Uh, And it. 
I can't wait to continue doing that. Now, Desmond, you played for the U.S. men's team. And in February, there was a $24 million settlement that the U.S. women's team made with the U.S. Soccer Federation that would ensure equal pay for the men's and women's team. I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, huge supporter of the women's uh, program. You know, my experience with the national team, having played in the Olympics and the World Cup, is that what we started, um, meaning my run way back when, back in black and white TV time frame, um, <laughs> the women's team basically had our hand-me-downs to utilize for their training as well as for their games. And even though travel for us was rough, I mean, it was it was disastrous for the women. If we had to go someplace out of the country and we would have say five different connecting flights in order for us to get there. And we're talking about flying straight to England. Uh, they would have, you know, 10 connecting flights. So I understood and support, uh, the fact that they represent the country as well and they should be treated equally. What needs to be said relative to that is that U S soccer uh, when we were the men, when we were preparing for the 1994 World Cup, uh, U.S. Soccer put us into a residency program and paid us salaries. And so, like that, the women's team players have been paid professionally to play in the women's professional league, as well as getting um, appearance money when they play for the national team. And so U.S. soccer has tried its best to support the women, but even in doing that, they fell short as it pertained to equal pay based off of appearances for the national team between the men and the women. So I'm in support of, look, the ladies can play. The women can play. The women have won. And you could say that it's, apples to apples. The argument has been it's apples to oranges, and it's not true. It's apples to apples. We're both representing the United States. We're representing them on the global stage, and we are representing them in competitions against other national teams. So I'm in full support of them getting everything that they deserve equal to, to us. Really quick, program. Really quickly, what can we expect from Fisk University Soccer this fall? You can expect we're going to have a team, and we actually have a facility, meaning a field, on campus for the very first time, thanks to the owner of National Soccer Club. He put in a hefty donation to Fisk University to further its sport, as well as a women's program at Fisk University. Not just a men's program, but a women's program as well, of which I'm overseeing both at the moment. So that's what you have to see. So. It, all, it all comes back around. I wanted to give many thanks to you. Thanks to, to Desmond Armstrong, soccer coach at Fisk University, and Stephen Robinson, host of the Nashville Soccer Podcast, Pharmaceutical Soccer. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Join us tomorrow for a conversation on how our city's affordable housing crisis is hitting our immigrant communities especially hard. This is Nashville as a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, Tasha A.F. Limley. Digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tudhope. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And make sure you get a chance to go out to a game. You'll love it. And be good to each other as well. <laughs>